All right. Well, thank you for uh, joining us and sticking with us uh, through the morning. We know that it was a lot of information, but hopefully it's been really, really helpful. So um, what we are going to do, uh, by the way, my name is Cami Butt. I'm uh, Murphy Robinson's, where is he? There we go. Uh, his assistant, so I get the pleasure of kind of going through the, the Q&A sort of panel discussion uh, today. So um, uh, everyone that did a presentation today, with the exception of I think one gentleman who had to uh, get back to work, uh, are up here on the panel. So hopefully we can answer your questions. We've had a lot of questions that have come in. So feel free to uh, keep those coming in. I'm actually feeding those right here, so I'll be uh, addressing the panel to uh, answer those questions. We also, uh, Cecilia sent out a survey, so I have some other questions and sort of comments that came through on the survey that we'll try and get to uh, as well. So if everybody is ready, um, I think probably the most important question that we will have to answer today is how do you feel about the Broncos' upcoming season? That's a great question. I'll address that. <laughs> it's a serious question. Is it? Yes. Let's just say the Broncos are awesome and that we always hope for the best. Next question. Of course, of course. Um, so there was one question that came up uh, a couple of times that uh, people wanted a little bit of elaboration on. I'm not sure who on the panel wants to take this. But whenever Mayor Hancock was speaking, he mentioned the maybe weeby requirement that will be sunset. Uh, someone, a few folks actually, were looking for us to elaborate on the, the timing of that and plans for continued maybe weeby support um, with purchasing. There were like three right there at the end that you just fit. <laughs> I think um, for the ordinance, the ordinance sets in April of 2019. What that really means is that uh, we are in the process of rewriting the ordinance. So step one is for us to see whether or not there is a disparity in the city. If it's identified through the disparity study that there is a disparity, then we have the opportunity to be able to say what changes do we want to see with this ordinance. And which was mentioned earlier by myself and by Brandon is that the ordinance is what governs uh, Division of Small Business Opportunity. It's what gives us our rules, it's what gives us our guidelines, it tells us what types of certifications are applicable on city contracts, it tells us how do we do compliance on our work. How do we see that a prime or a general contractor is actually meeting that 10%? It outlines for us our mentor-protege program, our joint ventures. It's really what governs us, and it's really the glue that keeps us together. And so when we say that will sunset, really it's saying, okay, we have the opportunity with all of you to be able to make changes and be able to see, and as uh, Stephanie and the mayor talked about, we want to make it better. So really that's what that means is that we are making it better. We have taken several steps over these past two years to be able to engage the community and say, what is it that you want to see? 
how can we improve? Um, and over the last two years, we've met with the uh, CEI, which stands for Construction Empowerment Initiative. Uh, we've met with a subcommittee, and what they've done is taken these great ideas from community members, from community leaders, and uh, we also had one council person in there as well over the last uh, year uh, to be able to say what changes there are. So hopefully that answers the question. But really when we say it's sunsets, that means whatever ordinance we are working on right now will come into play uh, in April of 2019. And it's not just a process that just started this, this week or this year, it's been in play for a while. Great, thank you. All right, so um, we have a company here that said they have a strong track record in commercial work. Um, and how is the best way uh, for a consulting firm to break into government work? It looks like they've had a lot of positive feedback on their government proposals, but are looking to really break into doing work with the city. Don't all speak up at once. Hi. Uh, I would say for that particular question, uh, the best uh, way to break in is at the open market level. And so um, from zero to $10,000, uh, agencies are able to make open market purchases that do not go to proposal, uh, and they can choose who they are working with. Uh, I did some data crunching recently, and there's a ton of opportunity in that level for consulting services specifically. And we're actually looking and purchasing how we can take that data and make it so that these small businesses can be um, identified when an agency's looking to find that need. So it, it's really about finding the agencies that use that. And uh, most of them do, to be honest, also. So um, from arts and venues to the police department to um, facilities, I see those types of purchases come through. And what ends up happening is vendors are successful at that level, they demonstrate their expertise and skills, and then the agency personnel tells other agencies about them. And so then from there, it kind of crescendos. I like to add, and then I'll, I'll give it to Brandon. Um, another way for you as a contractor and or just business in general is to, to uh, get involved with uh, the city is to utilize our, our programs such as Cecilia's program, our five steps. Um, we have programs that actually teach you how do you engage. Um, but first and foremost, if you see a contract out there that you want to be a part of, um, that, that myth of not asking a question, uh, that is so true. A lot of people don't think you can just call up the procurement office and ask, hey, how would I submit a program or an RFP for this, um, this contract? We like those kind of questions. And matter of fact, we will walk you through how you do that and what's expected. And so please, at the end of the day, it's going back to the basics. Just give us a call, communicate, um, and talk to our purchasing staff. Um, our chief purchasing officer has a lot of dedicated highly trained, wonderful staff, um, buyers uh, that are on our purchasing department that will assist you and we'll let you know, we'll talk, let you talk to the person who's actually handling, the, handling that contract. Does that answer? Does that, you like, okay. Uh, good. She says you answered it. All right, well there we go. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So I didn't know the particular of how that question was asked and what type of consultant was being um, categorized uh, in the question. And so I was just going to say that there's, there's mainly it's about communication. So uh, in the last couple of months, um, we reissued or procured uh, in a different department um, on-call services. And those on-call services were for design consultants. And um, I wanted to just point out a benefit of, we do it every, the city does it every couple years um, for this particular type of contract. And um, the message I wanted to share was, sometimes if you hadn't ever worked with the city, it's hard to understand what the city is asking for in the RFPs or the RFQs that come out. And I really wanted to just kind of piggyback on what Murphy was saying in terms of communication. So we've been very successful in partnering with some of our SBEs and MWBEs. And oftentimes, th those that may not have put on paper exactly what the city was looking for, we'll reach out and we actually have a dialogue. And in the last couple of weeks, um, I've partnered with Public Works and other folks and actually gone to some of these MWBEs and SBEs offices and debriefed. And the point I wanna make is that we also did this three years previously at the previous on-call contracts. And for the three folks that we did that with, we created a partnership and a little bit of a relationship that allowed us to kind of stay in communication with one another through the process, look at opportunities that benefited both parties. Um, and then when we re-advertised as a city for these new, new contracts that came up, they were ready, they were prepared, they put forth their best foot and um, all three that we had been working with were selected um, to get on the contract. So it's, it's um, relationship-based, not in a way of, hey, uh, you know, it, not in a way of do me favors type of relationship-based, but here's what we're looking for. And to be able to communicate and to be able to know what one another's capabilities are and what we're asking for is huge. And it's um, oftentimes, as a lot of these folks have mentioned, the way that the city procures is usually best, I'll call it best value, but oftentimes that best value is uh, best responsive, lowest cost uh, provider. And so um, we have to go what's on paper. And even though we've had a great conversation and we know what communities or what the uh, business communities can do, it really has to do with um, putting your best foot forward on that paper that we're, we're looking at. So. Just wanted to go. I wanted to add, um, just from a more global perspective, one of the recognitions that we've arrived at also relative to this question is really working inside of DISPO with recognizing the different stages in which small businesses are in. You all come to us at different, different stages in, in your business level. So, you know, somebody that's very new, 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 embryotic to doing business with the city, that's a different experience than someone that has perhaps been successful in bidding and being awarded a contract. So we have to recognize that you come to us differently. And so inside of DISBO, we're really talking about holding the hand of those who are really new to doing business with the city instead of just certifying them and saying, okay, you know, go out and do business. Um, we, want, we want to be there as a support mechanism to, to help you navigate through what it means to be, again, successful in engaging in business with the city. So staying with you longer than that moment in which you're certified. And for those more advanced businesses, figuring out 
from your perspective, what is the support that the city can continue to give to you in order to help sustain your business practices? Great. Thanks, everyone. Um, so a uh, lot of really great questions here. I do want to say that we're not going to be able to get to all of them. Um, so if you asked a question, uh, sorry, we're not going to be able to get to it. But we will address all questions and send out the presentation uh, after the conclusion of today, uh, just so we can make sure that we do address uh, your question. So uh, we did have a question about how to um, certify your small business with the city. So uh, there were a lot of people that raised their hands earlier, but there were a lot of people that didn't. So can someone talk to you how to get certified with the city? <laughs> You're right. um, really, there's many steps that are involved, but if you start at the uh, DISBO website, it will be able to give you more information. Generally, what happens is it's all online. Um, it's an online format, so you would start your application online, and it goes through to an intake specialist, and then it will be assigned to a certification analyst who will review your application from start to finish. Um, oftentimes what people do not know is that there is a fee uh, to be able to become certified, but there's the possibility to get certified in six different certifications. Um, what we try to tell small businesses when they come in is to uh, actually do an application for all of them. We have two that are uh, with the federal agencies and then there are four that are local. So those two are uh, Disadvantaged Business Enterprise and then also our ACDBE, which is for our concessionaires who work out at the airport. Um, and then we have our local side of the house, which are all those E's that you heard earlier. So we have MWBE, SBE, and EBE. And I think there's an E that I'm missing. Um, but really, we split out those uh, two. Uh, when we say MWBE, that's uh, minority and or woman-owned uh, business enterprise. And those certifications, what they do on our local program is it gives you the availability and the opportunity to be able to uh, get a possibility in general services. Public works came up earlier. Um, that's what our MWBE uh, certifications are for. On our federal side, if there is a project that even has one dollar of federal uh, assistance to it, then it has to be assigned a DBE goal. Um, and then you have to be certified DBE. So that's why we say it's in your best interest to, um, if you, most of the time if you're um, able to be certified in uh, MWBE, you're also able to be certified in DBE. So hopefully that answers the questions. There's uh, many steps. Um, what I tell people every time I do an event is to get certified sooner rather than later. Um, oftentimes people will see a contract that comes available and they say, well, I want to get certified, and, and which is awesome, which is great. But then they say, I want to get certified in 72 hours. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not able to be able to certify right now in 72 hours because there is a long list of firms who want to become certified. Um, so we are asking that as soon as you even think that you want to be certified in the city to be able to become certified because you don't know when that opportunity will become available uh, to you in whatever NAICS code you're able to get certified in. So do it sooner rather than later. And our office is always available to be able to answer questions. And um, Jeanette, I don't know if she's still here, 
Oh, hey, Jeanette. She'll be um, upstairs. She's an awesome certification analyst, um, and she'll be upstairs, and she'll be able to answer specific questions that you may have in regards to becoming certified. Great. Thank you. One thing that I would like to add is approximately the third Wednesday of every month, this will host a training where you can, it's the only time that you can see the entire application before you go online because everything then is done online until you have every question answered on that screen. Can you go and see what is one if you don't mind and then I'll give it to one of you um, but I I've heard that from you as well and one thing that we're doing in the purchasing division um, is we are making sure that we come alongside you and make it easier for you to be primes on um, uh, on our contracts um, and not just subs and the reason I say that is an opportunity that we have is when we have large contracts is instead of giving that large contract to one prime and then expecting them to go out and find the subs, we would like to find opportunities to where we can break that contract up. And I know I probably sound like we're uh, repeating ourselves quite a bit, but um, we'd like to break that contract up. And we would like to award multiple uh, vendors or multiple contractors to do the work that we're asking um, and um, possibly have more opportunity for folks to be primes. The other piece of it is a lot of times we, we focus in on the word contracts. And that's a loaded word in the purchasing division because a lot of what we do is not contracts. Um, we do a lot of master purchase orders, we do a lot of purchase orders, and we do a lot of P-card spend. And so what I've been challenging uh, Mr. Lance J here um, to do is really dig deep into our processes and find out how we find opportunity in all the rest of the ways we spend money as well. Um, and if you think about it, every time one of our P-cards, which is our credit cards by the way, I'm sorry, uh, one of our credit cards is swiped at, let's just say, a Home Depot uh, by a facilities person uh, because they need a hammer. Hopefully they're not buying hammers from Home Depot, but that's, <laughs> that's my uh, example. Um, I'm hoping that we can set up some type of system to where they can actually go and search, and this was an, actually a Janelle idea from months and months ago. Uh, th they can go and search, I want to buy a hammer. Is there any small businesses that sell hammers in my geographical area? There's one back there. Let's get your card before we leave. <laughs> but see, that's an opportunity. Instead of, and now we're not going to just take all the business from the big guys either, but I think it's spreading the wealth, right? Um, and so how do we engage those small businesses for even those type of, that type of spend? Does that make sense? Excellent. So we're going to be working on that process um, fairly soon. We have a, a, a quick deadline that's approaching, um, not only on that, but also, and I'm going to put it out there, Lance, I have asked my purchasing department to decrease the time that it takes for a contract to get approved. Um, and so from start to finish, uh, we're hoping to decrease the time uh, a lot. I'm not going to put the number I put out there because Lance's eyes about fell out of his head when I, <laughs> when I put the goal out there. But we are, we are working to make this process easy for you all. Anybody else want to add? Just with the, 
what Brandon brought up earlier and myself in regards to our uh, small business enterprise. Uh, that program is built to help small businesses uh, grow into uh, possibly a, a prime or a GC. So, um, and both of those programs are utilized, as mentioned by Murphy and Brandon earlier, and what's under our ordinance to be able to focus in on that. One more thing that I would like to add is under the goods and service ordinance, most of the awards are made uh, for, for the certified vendors as a prime. Uh, so those are great opportunities. You know, the, there will be under a quarter of a million dollars. However, you prime it, so your profit margin is higher. So uh, that solicitation update, you know, all of those opportunities, you know, many of them you could prime. And the thing is that uh, purchasing, that's, that when they are in charge of small uh, renovations. A lot of, uh, let's say, this building will need just new flooring. That will go through through us, you know, uh, HVAC, plumbing, uh, all of that goes through us. And so those are great opportunities where you can work directly with the city, and you can you can you can prime it. And for those of you who don't know Murphy, he, uh, he he puts things out and says attack. So that, that's what we're going to do with this. Um, Janelle was kind of talking about it. I think it would be best if we did a quarterly seminar on how to be successful with RFPs, um, not only as a sub, but also as a prime as well. So we'll put that out there right now that we're going to start a quarterly uh, workshop, I guess you could put it, on how to be successful with the city when it comes to uh, engaging as a prime. And I'll task Janelle and Paige to, to kind of head that up on our end. So more news to come on that, and we'll send that communication out um, within the group email. Thank you. Great. Um, so we had a question about, um, so how do you even become aware of purchase order opportunities that are less than $50,000? Like where do people go to find, what are the different bid opportunities that are coming up with the city? That's a great question. <laughs> and, and that's something we've identified as um, a, a potential gap with, within our current system. Uh, for those of you looking at the, say, the 50,000 and more, um, that that's an easy one. That's going to be through BidNet. Uh, with regards to that 10 to 50,000, uh, I was speaking kind of earlier about the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Uh, be that squeaky wheel. Um, don't be scared to to email into not only me but also our whole group to find out what some of those opportunities are. Uh, we're looking at some mechanisms of how to better post those opportunities. Uh, and kind of what I spoke about earlier about breaking down some agreements and some MPOs and, and getting that knowledge out there when it comes to those things. Uh, but that is something where we've identified as a, as a room for improvement of how to get that communication out there. Uh, not only with the buyers, but also with, with programs like Cecilia's and being able to identify what that comes out. I know Cecilia sends out um, a communication on a regular basis of upcoming solicitations. Uh, but we have to get a little bit deeper into the detail on that 10 to 50,000. And Lance, um, could you just, uh, or Paige, um, either of you, just explain what BidNet is for someone that may not be familiar with that terminology? Mm -hmm. um, so just to speak to one more thing that Lance mentioned, the other part of that, again, is reaching out and making connections. Um, so really utilizing the time today, this afternoon, to speak to your end users, um, which is the agencies throughout the city. I think there's maybe 56 different agencies, um, but they're more than happy to hear what you have, um, hear what you have to say, what products you have, 
Um, I think that's another way to really start making those connections and partnerships. And even if they don't have something right away that they need to buy, just getting in saying, if you need something in the future, here's my card. Um, those types of connections are really helpful as well. And then uh, BidNet. So uh, BidNet is our purchasing procurement tool for all bids over $50,000. Um, it is free to sign up for. Um, I think it's BidNet.com. BidNetDirect.com. Again, we can give you that um, information when we get you the presentations. Um, If you um, pay for the subscription to BidNet, and I'm sorry, I'm not aware of how much money it costs, um, BidNet will notify you when something posts in your area. So that's kind of the one catch or drawback to the free registration is you don't get notified of those opportunities. You have to consistently log in. Um, so I do think there's a lot of value from um, registering for the paid one. And just to be aware, BidNet is not just Colorado. It's actually nationwide. Um, you'll get opportunities in California, Texas, Massachusetts, Georgia, Florida. It's, it's part of the, the Rocky Mountain procurement system, um, and it gives you the opportunities uh, of those bids that are upcoming, not only within Colorado, but uh, all across the U.S. The cost for BidNet is $108 per year if you have uh, four or five states, and if you have uh, more states, then it's 300 and something. And what Janelle said is really important. You put the area of work that you have, and it is not just uh, the city and county of Denver who is posting there. There's over 50 agencies. So you get specialized opportunities in your area of work. Um, it's a good question. That's a hot topic. <laughs> Um, so I, also an advantage to BidNet is buyers try to be commodity experts. Uh, we try to really understand what we buy, uh, who needs it, how it works, what's best, but sometimes we run into proposals for things that we've just never done before. And so something that I've really emphasized, and it's something that all levels of our staff do now, is if you don't understand a commodity or you're not sure of the supplier pool or who does this, post it publicly on BidNet, no matter the dollar amount. It gives you the opportunity to see what's out there. And then going forward from that, you already have all these resources that you can connect with. Um, so yeah. Okay, um, so how does a small business compete with other larger small businesses when price or cost is the determining factor to a winning bid? That was a really long question. Can you say that one again? So how does a small business compete with maybe a larger small business uh, when price or cost is the determining factor to the winning bid? Well, that's just it. That's a, a bit of a misconception that price is always the ultimate determining factor. Uh, I was talking to some folks and some of the breaks, and, and one of the things that we're looking at in purchasing is developing that customer relationship piece. It has to be more than just about a transactional piece. There's got to be that customer service element, that helping out in a pinch, that give and take relationship with it. And for me, on the purchasing end, it's about that as well. We're breaking it more into that 80-20 rule of the 80% price, but there's also that customer service element piece built into it. If it's 
the local relationship, the availability, the follow-up, the invoicing, all those elements need to come into play with it. So yes, price is a determining factor, and it's usually going to be a large portion of that, but it's not the sole determining factor. There's got to be other pieces to it, and that's where those pieces of the customer service are going to come into play. Great. Um, so we've had a, a few people that have responded um, that the NAICS code codes don't really fit their business, um, and they're just looking for some advice. <laughs> he, he handed that to me because he knows how I feel about these things. Um, <laughs> we've had a lot of discussion about NAICS codes um, and inside a dispo, really trying to put a grasp on whether or not all of the NAICS codes that we put out there for consumption are necessary and needed. Do we, get to, do we need to go to an entirely different platform? There's been some suggestions to go to divisions. There's been some response to that by some members in our legal department. And so we have to figure out whether or not you know, we can do that, if that's a, uh, an opportunity, or if it's not, then really discerning NAICS codes of which the city spends in. And I've said to our colleagues again, listen, this is a supply and a demand scenario. We, we, city, should be more intentional and careful about how we are certifying folks in these NAICS codes because if we're certifying them in NAICS codes in which the city has never nor will ever have spend in, then I think we're doing a disservice to your community. So we want to identify where there's opportunity, focus on those NAICS codes, and have people properly certified in those areas. So that is something that we're taking a real hard look at. All right, um, so please provide insight as to whether or not professional service firms are under general services with the city. If not, where do they reside? That is a good question. <laughs> um, I'll tackle this first and then I'll give it to my colleagues. Um, that's a complex question because uh, a lot of times it depends on the amount of the, that the professional service is going to uh, end up being for the contract. Um, but agencies do, out of Executive Order 8, have the right to execute professional services contracts themselves um, under uh, what is prescribed through that executive order. However, there are a lot of professional services contracts that agencies use us for in purchasing. Um, and those professional services, um, there is not defined what that is um, because it could be anything from, I don't know, give me a good example. Yeah, installation to executive coaching, I guess. Um, that's a horrible example, by the way. But, <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's, it's so diverse. To have a city this big um, go through one agency for all of its professional services contracts back when X08 was established, I believe that's what we wanted to, what they wanted to do, I wasn't here yet, but what they wanted to do was give a little bit more leeway to allow for agencies to get work done quicker um, or more quickly. And so um, there is a, an executive order that establishes that, but a lot of agencies do still use us um, for their professional services contracts, um, even when they don't have to. Do you have anything to add to that? Does that answer the question? There is no black or white answer to that question, actually, because there's a lot um, that are required 
to go to us, but there's some that agencies can do themselves. I was just going to say, when we say professional services under construction, that primarily, mm -hmm, that primarily relates to design. So we interchange those two words under our, um, the, the article that was up there, Article 3, we uh, interchange those words, professional services, with design. But it does mean something different, as Murphy just mentioned, uh, for Article 5 for general services. Yeah, that's a great clarification, Tanya. Um, one of the things that I was going to say in relation to both of those points is that the engagement with the city is not different um, in either of those aspects. DISBO is still there to support um, those professional services as well as other agencies. If the agencies de uh, decide to procure it on their own, they should be willing to and talk to uh, both General Services, DISBO, and so everyone's going through the same process. It's just kind of the initiator or the owner of it through that process is different, but um, it, it's really no different from the city's perspective in terms of how we engage and how we want to support the community. I also, I also should throw out something that's vitally important to that question, is that that's something we're looking at and targeting is that very question is how do we make sure you all know who to go to? Uh, when, when you're hearing about engaging um, in a professional services contract and that we make sure that our, all of our agencies are marching one band, one sound, all have the same criteria, all um, are understanding how do we engage. And so that's crucial and that's something we've been talking about in our cabinet meetings. And so more to come on that as we have these quarterly events that I uh, am happy Lances is about to start putting on. Um, we, we will, that may be a, a topic for one of them, because I think that's a good question. Great. Um, so, how are decisions determined for minority business goals on RFPs? Um, unless the project is very specific, it seems there should always be a minority business goal. Do you want to start it? I Well, so I'm going to take the question um, in terms of the goal. So if we talk in goals, usually that's different goal opportunities that Tanya referenced in her presentation. So there's construction goals, there's design goals, and there's goods and services goals. And all of those have different aspirational goals that are usually outlined within the disparity study. Um, and maybe you need to take the mic. I don't know. <laughs> but. Um, but, but those ha have a, a process and what I wanted to, and then I will hand it over to you, Tanya. Um, what I want to make sure everyone understands is right now those goals committees are made up of members of our MWBE and SBE communities that are participating in those types of projects. So they have an understanding of the types of projects and the scopes at hand, as well as other businesses that are oriented or situated in those same capacities. Um, and then there's always experts within the city and others that kind of weigh in on them. But that's how the goals are formulated um, based on the opportunity the project um, or the goods and service presents itself. Um, you want to speak any more to that? Okay. Um, so um, I think that's a good question. It's a question that comes up a lot. 
we do have various goals committees that we have, and each one of our goals committees has nine members on it. Uh, what makes up those nine is we have three primes um, or GCs, we have three uh, minority or women, and then three that have to be exclusive, exclusively a woman-owned firm. Those nine um, participate in regards to saying a project-specific goal. Uh, what Brandon just mentioned is our aspirational goal. That aspirational goal is what we set citywide, uh, depending on if it's under Article 3, which is construction, or Article 5, which is goods and services. Um, what we do on those project-specific goals is uh, we take in a lot of data to be able to say, okay, what should this goal be? And then also to be able to, to include the input that's coming from the goals committee. And yes, I agree that many projects and all should have a goal assigned to them. However, what we've been mentioning this whole day is in regards to that ordinance. That ordinance states um, under Article 5 that a project must be over a million dollars in order for it to go through to the uh, goals committee to be able to assign a goal to it. Um, so that's some of the items that we will be looking at as we go through this ordinance that has already come up. Also, what was posted earlier were uh, 469 NAICS codes. So a project that's coming through must have one of those NAICS codes on it in order for it to even um, be assigned a goal. So within our general services, as the mayor has said, as Stephanie has said, as Murphy has said, there's many things that we need to look at to be able to get it to be better, to improve, and then to be able to provide more opportunity uh, to you all. So hopefully that answers that question, but um, that question does come up often. But what governs us is that ordinance. And so right now under general services, um, I can say that sometimes it can be a little restrictive. Um, so sometimes there is a project that will not receive a goal if it doesn't fit into one of those four categories that Brandon and myself mentioned earlier. So we just kind of have to be able to, to keep that in mind um, in regards to what projects are coming through and then sometimes one may not have a goal or sometimes one may have a goal. I wanted to reiterate that, um, as was just explained here, that's the current process. There is a lot of conversation going on relative to recalibrating this current process. Because we've asked ourselves, is it working? Um, does it need some revision? Um, you know, Tanya mentioned nine individuals that are identified to participate on the goals committee. In a lot of instances, that number nine is not met, and so you have less than nine people, ranging from two to, to four, making a decision relative to putting a goal on a project, and we don't think that, again, inures to the best interests of uh, small businesses. So we're really taking a hard look in um, proposing some changes, perhaps, in the ordinance relative to how goals are established on these projects. I also want to mention, because we were talking about NAICS codes, it is so imperative to really have somebody identified appropriately because it is capacity that dictates what a percentage goal should be. So if there's, you know, 100 companies certified in a particular NAICS code, that's taken into consideration when determining what the goal is on a particular contract or a project. If there's zero, then, you know, that's another consideration. So. It's a, it's a continuum of considerations of which we have to really um, pay attention to and be, again, deliberative about. Um, but this process of, process of assigning goals is something that needs a lot of attention. 
Right. Um, and I think uh, if people have, any of the audience members have really specific questions about what their NAICS code is, um, should they come upstairs yeah. at 1 o'clock and, yeah. and speak with you all? Okay, so they will have a table, so please stop by and see them if you have a question about what code you should be using, um, if there doesn't appear to be a real um, uh, logical sort of, of choice there for you. Okay, so we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about everyone's favorite prevailing wage. Um, so we had a few questions on prevailing wage, so I'm going to kind of sit there for a minute. A um, uh, lot of, of kind of questions about, you know, when is prevailing wage required? So. <laughs> Hello, my name is Rafael Gungon. I'm basically the manager of prevailing wage. So prevailing wage applies to any work that is done on the, for the city uh, that is $2,000 or more. Uh, also, it applies if the city is paying for it, and also applies if it's uh, on property that is owned by the city, but someone else is uh, leasing it. So that's basically when prevailing wage applies. Uh, it's constructions and services, $2,000 or more. Okay, and what about if someone wanted to figure out what prevailing wage was for specifically for construction labor? I'm not sure if that's me or you. <laughs> so I'm gonna move. It. So um, when when there's a prevailing wage job, and let's say there's a bid, uh, an investigator will show up to the pre-bid and they will inform the contractors what are the applicable wages because there's many wage determinations that are published throughout the year. So it is very important for a contract, and if there's a private, that uh, you go to the private so you can get that information. But let's say if it's a purchase order, that's basically what uh, general services always issue. We always use the PO purchasing date. So on the PO, there's, there's a date you can go to our website and you can look for the wage determinations that are there and you can look for the wages. But let's say you don't have any, any idea of what, what it is, you can call our office and we'll gladly tell you, hey, this is the classification that you need to use for this particular job and these are the rates that you need. All right, um, maybe a couple more on prevailing wage here. So. Um, is, is prevailing wage specifically called out in the RFP or um, in the contract whenever that is, is written? So yes, uh, usually we have a good relationship between uh, general services, public works, and uh, all the agencies, and they will reach out to us to be sure if, the, if prevailing wage is applicable, and it will be either on your purchase order, I think it's the last paragraph or your, of your PO, and then on, on RFP, I think it's usually on section B that it will tell you if prevailing wage applies. So yeah, it is very explicit that on POs or contracts. And how does prevailing wage, um, how does that fit into multi-year contracts? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> okay, so when it's a multi-year uh, uh, project or contract, what usually happens is that there's going to be a pre-bid, uh, sorry, a bid due date or a bid opening date. That 
is basically the date that we use for your anniversary date. So let's say there's a pre-bid today and the due date is next Monday. So next Monday is when your anniversary date starts and every year, let's say it's a three-year contract, uh, next year of this Monday, of the next Monday, it will be your first year anniversary date and you have new wages. So on prevailing wage every year, on multi-year multi contract, you will have new wages every year. The only exception to that is Davis-Bacon projects, which basically those are frozen for the duration of the contract. So if it's a seven-year project, it will be the same wage for seven years. Great. I think that's it. I'll let you off the hook for a minute here. Um, okay. So, um, sorry, I just lost my question here. Uh, so Murphy was talking about, um, you know, uh, shortening the time to contract. Uh, someone wanted to know how long does it actually take to make the decision on bids after the bid is submitted? Don't you love it when someone starts with, it depends? <laughs> um, it, but it truly does. So if it is for, um, you, if it's for goods and it's at a um, dollar threshold of 10000 to $50,000, uh, you can expect within a week to receive notification via a bid tab, um, or you can ask for a bid tab. If it is um, a formal bid in that same category, those have to be out on the streets for at least two weeks. And um, it's it similarly, the bid tab has to be, tabulation has to be compiled. If it's a request for a proposal, you are looking at a longer period of time uh, for evaluations, and that's because there are technical components in that. You're not just based, there is not just based on price. And so, um, in order to move that forward, an evaluation committee made up of agency stakeholders has to be able to meet, they have to read every proposal and then provide technical ratings for it. And so that's why that one um, can take an extended period of time. I've seen it done as quickly, well, I did one recently, and it took two weeks. I also know when we procured our ERP system, it took six months. And like Janelle said, it, just, it really depends on the, the complexity of it. Uh, like for example, one of our buyers right now is going through one for the National Western Stock Show uh, complex for the, for the energy. Um, we're going on a year of going through that evaluation and going through that proposals and criteria because some of these proposals were a couple hundred pages that we have to read front cover to back cover and give technical scoring on probably 50 different items across the committee. So it really depends on what the commodity is and what the complexity of the project is, is really what it comes down to. I'll say this too, that um, one thing that we're launching since we're kind of unveiling some of the programs that we're doing is we're gonna be having a video series, a professional video series done for our customers to understand um, what does the procurement process look like? Um, and so that way, you don't have to wait till one of these panels to hear um, what that looks like. You'll be able to, it'll be on our website, be on YouTube, it'll be everywhere. Um, and that video series will show you what you can expect when you engage in our process. So look for that coming hopefully by the end of this year. 
Okay, a couple questions on on-call. Um, first, someone wanted to know what is an on-call contract? And then uh, also, how do you take that from being on-call to um, actually a small project? So maybe not as an on-call status. So Murphy mentioned Executive Order 8 earlier in the discussion. Um, and on-call is one of the ways uh, the city can procure services through that executive order. Um, oftentimes, those are utilized. It's, it's a, there's a term agreement and there's a capacity agreement. And it's as um, on the federal world, you may understand or have heard the terminology of IDIQ, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. And it's very similar to an IDIQ at our municipal level. And so we don't know exactly what's coming up, but for instance, there's on-calls and MPOs, whether it be uh, an MPO for, I'll call it a trade, that we in general services and our facilities management department would utilize plumbing services. So you may have an MPO with a plumber, um, and that contract has a duration to it. Um, there's other contracts related to design or construction related to on-calls that um, would have a capacity and a term, you know, depending on, on the services needed. So that's really what an on-call contract is. Um, the second part of Cammie's question, I believe, was um, how do you transition or, and, and I don't know if transition is the right word, um, but the city has opportunities to either, you know, opportunities, those on-calls are procured publicly through an RFQ or an RFP process. And so you certainly have an opportunity to, uh, to be awarded one of those. But then everything else that the city does in, a, in a, another fashion is either on BidNet and other procurement sites that the city has. Uh, work for Denver is another opportunity to look at contracts that the city lets to the public. And that's work, the number four, Denver. Um, I, I just wanted to emphasize, too, with the on-calls, the reason, um, and we kind of touched on this, it is an on-call, is because that need hasn't been defined or um, it hasn't occurred. And so an example of that is um, like hazardous waste cleanup, right? Well, we have to wait for a oil spill to occur in order to utilize that on-call. And so that's why they are called that. It's not because we kind of are putting people to the side. It's just that in order to make our city run and run well, we need to have these businesses able to respond to problems as they occur. Great. We've got a little bit of time for a couple more questions and then we'll um, break. I think they're setting up for lunch now. Um, uh, it's a really good question about how do we audit the Maybe we be small businesses. Um, uh, seems to be competitors that are maybe not compliant. Um, and how are those businesses businesses being vetted? Thank you. <laughs> Hot potato. Uh, right. <laughs> and let me let me verify that I understand the question. The, the first one: um, how to how do we audit the MWBEs? Uh, the to become certified, it is not, um, it's, 
it's a process that we are proud of as the city because um, it's not just you come in and you give us a sheet of paper and then you are certified. Um, there's an extensive process, and Brandon and I were just talking to a, a customer a second ago in regards to the documents that are needed. So your tax information, your personal financial information is needed, what your business is. There's actually a certification analyst who does a site visit to ensure that you are actually uh, doing that work in the uh, request of the next code that you were seeking. So um, it is a long process. So that's why I said earlier that it does take longer than uh, three days to become certified because we are asking for so much information and it's our analysts meeting with the small business one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so hopefully that answers that question. Um, another question that we receive is, um, well, what if a MWBE, I'm going to use this word, pass-through, um, what if that MWBE is being used as a pass-through? Um, and that's where our compliance area comes in at, where we conduct compliance on each and every project that comes through the city, where there's an actual compliance coordinator who's looking to see, um, A, is that business certified um, in the work that they are doing, and then uh, B, how are they uh, meeting that goal. And then also, when we are at full capacity, our compliance coordinators sometimes do site visits. Um, and then just one more process that we do uh, is what we call the responsive, non-responsive process. Uh, so when a contract is done and everyone has submitted, uh, we receive documentation. Um, and at that point, we are also verifying whoever the prime has identified uh, to be that small business, or even if it's an SBE, because we talked about that pretty extensively today, we are verifying that they are actually certified as an MWBE, SBE, um, or an EBE. So there's many um, checks and balances along the way, um, if that's how the term audit uh, was being used in that question. Okay. Thank you. Um, I, I lied. I'm going to have two more questions here. Um, so there were a, a handful of questions about uh, purchasing at Den at the at the airport. Um, Lance, if you could talk about that process, how that works, how we in general services work with Den. The great thing about the city and county of Denver is we actually help oversee all the purchasing at Den as well uh, as downtown. Uh, there are four very skilled folks out at the airport uh, that handle the, the zero to $10,000 range. Uh, we do help them with that and give them some guidance and some consulting on what they're buying out there. Uh, but pretty much everything else um, goes to our team um, in the web building with regards to small agreements of 10, 12,000 up to in, into the millions. Uh, so all of that is actually coordinated through the city and county of Denver over and above the airport. Uh, there are some more stringent guidelines for the airport with things like insurance and some elements like that with FAA guidelines that we have to follow, but we're familiar with all of those and all of those items come through us. So if there's any questions regarding den specific items or commodities or projects or those kind of things, those would definitely come and route through us as well. Okay. I do want to reiterate though, that especially with the Great Hall project and all of that coming up, the things that come through general services is goods and services. It is not construction. Um, it is not uh, the professional services that deal with construction or anything like that. And so um, that is a common misconception um, in that we, we are there for goods and services and commodities. And so 
Um, those type of contracts come through us. The others is handled through DIN themselves. Um, final thing, so uh, I think we beat a dead horse talking about going up on the third floor this afternoon. Um, buyers, agencies, other folks will be available to you from one to four today. So please engage with them. We know we weren't able to answer all of your questions today, and some of the questions that we were able to answer may be um, spurred on some new questions that you have. So please go up there. That's why they're here, um, to engage with you. Um, but I would say or ask a question um, that, uh, a final question, how, how would somebody get an appointment with a buyer or, or with someone on the panel? How would we do that? That's a great question. Great question. Ask for one. <laughs> it's very simple. We're just people, guys. <laughs> and so um, the reason we're having this dialogue is because I personally saw a need for you all as business owners to understand who you talk to. Who's the other person on the other side of that computer um, operating and doing these contracts and, um, and really running that process? And so that's why we have literally shut down the purchasing department today. Literally. Um, all of the buyers are in this room with you today. So we talked about all these processes. We talked about uh, you get engaging with them. The people that will be running those processes for you and engaging with that and buying um, items, goods and services on behalf of all of our city agencies are here in the room with you today. And so I encourage you to meet with them. Um, and in terms of meeting with us on the panel, um, I would definitely say on behalf of general services staff that we would love to engage with you. Um, realize this though, that um, personally I um, cannot meet with everyone. <laughs> and I, I'm putting that out there because I love to meet with our small businesses. And a lot of times what happens is people say, I'm going to meet with Murphy so I can get this contract. Well, if you know anything about uh, me and uh, processes, I believe in following processes. And so there's, I will put it out there now that just because we talk doesn't mean you're going to get a contract. <laughs> um, but I will say we have talented people. We have talented people in the purchasing department. And um, I, I ask you to engage us. Engage the, uh, the purchasing folks, the staff, the, the uh, buyer staff, Lance and his colleagues, and the mayor's office with Stephanie. Uh, we want to hear from you. That's what this is all about. We want to hear from you, hear how we can improve um, the quality of your, uh, your experience with us. Anything else to add? So as city employees, um, all of us have the same email nomenclature. So if you just remember at denvergov.org and put our names in front of them, stephanie.omalley at denvergov.org, murphy.robinson at denvergov.org. If you forget, you're more than welcome to go to our websites. Uh, we are listed. I'm out of the mayor's office, general services. It's very easy to find uh, one of us through our web portal. So feel free to do that. And I've also brought cards that I've been sharing along the way, but you're welcome to contact me via email or at my phone number at any time. Just one thing on the email. It's first full name dot full last name at denvergov.org. There's no initials, there's no abbreviations, there's no sh shortening of names. It's first name full spelled out, dot last name spelled out at denvergov. So that's Lance.J. <laughs> J-A-Y. 
Absolutely. We want to hear from you, in all seriousness. We want to, I, I'm excited to see you all out here, and I really thank you for being here.